everybody, and welcome to Snescapades, a chronological journey through the North American Super Nintendo library, four games at a time, usually. We play them <laughs> briefly, <laughs> judge them harshly, and rank them, and that is pretty much all you need to know. I'm Steampunk Link. I'm Emmy Zero. So if you were with us last time... You might know that we planned on talking about four games last time. We only talked about one because it was Street Fighter 2. So we're essentially going to finish that episode now with this one. We're going to talk about the other three games that we meant to talk about, which are not quite as important, frankly, as Street Fighter 2. But yeah. it's still worth talking about because we are here to talk about all of them. That's right. This is our mission. This is our goal, our geas, our curse. We are here to talk about every Super Nintendo game in chronological order, and that means that we have uh, the first three games from August of 1992 to discuss with you today. That's right. We uh, had Newsy cover August last time, so no need to worry about that now. We are in August. We are now officially in the second year of Super Nintendo games. We're, we're going to start things off with, uh, you know, not, not quite a huge classic, but another Capcom arcade port, so that's something. Yep, absolutely. Magic Sword, another game that starts out with that wonderful little Capcom jingle. You know the one, it sounds like this. Yeah, that, just like that. Ah, makes me feel so good every time. Oh, I know. I love it. So anyway, this is another Capcom port uh, from an arcade machine. This one was released in 1990. This one's maybe a kind of sort of spiritual successor to another Capcom arcade release called Black Tiger, which came out in, I'm wanting to say, 87. This is an interesting thing to have been an arcade game, I feel like, because it does feel uh, a little bit less punishingly, like, coin-grabby than something like, say, Ghosts and Goblins, which is another side-scrolling platform game from Capcom that was originally an arcade game. And um, very different sort of philosophy going on here in this one. Yeah, so in this game, you're progressing through 51 floors... Kind of like levels, but kind of not. Only a few of them have bosses at the end of them. They vary widely in like the size and scope of the the floors as well. Like some of them are only a couple of screens long. Some of them are much longer than that. Yeah, some of them you'll start out and you can go either right or left and check things out. Some of them you only progress in one direction. Uh, some of them, you know, you'll find the door to the next area pretty quickly, but you can keep going and get more items if you want to risk it. You know, there's a lot of variety in the in, in what they kind of throw at you on a per-level basis here. It's kind of neat. I like that. Every floor is sort of festooned with item boxes and also doors that you can open with the many keys that you get uh, that are either dropped by enemies or found in item boxes. And a lot of those doors have a helper character behind them that will join you and essentially act as like a, a power-up, basically, uh, that'll join your kind of He-Man look barbarian guy as he makes his way up the tower and uh, there's a bunch of these characters you can kind of switch between them you know usually multiple times within within a single floor and they all offer kind of kind of slightly different variations on a, like a second attack basically depending on the situation maybe you want one helper over another it mostly just kind of depends on how you want to go through the levels you've got like an archer who fires arrows but her shots are pretty weak but she can do them very frequently 
there's a character simply called the Big Man. I like him, yeah. He throws a, a boomeranging axe that does a lot of damage, but takes a while to return to him, so he can only throw it every now and then. Um, there's a lot of other characters, too. There's a weird lizard man who's very powerful, but you have to have a diamond ring in your inventory before he'll help you. There's multiple magic users, a priest and a kind of, you know, battle wizard. You do have like a magic meter that builds up if you wait between attacks. Those characters will only attack if the magic meter is built up. Uh, they won't be able to do anything if if you're just doing like your regular melee attacks. So there's a lot of different like little variations of these characters and they're, they're kind of a big part, both of, of, you know, the way the game sort of like breaks up its gameplay and also in just just like adding additional spectacle to to the game. Another thing that I think is cool about the helper characters is that they can level up. If you open a door with the same ally character in it, they'll gain a level. If you find, I think, like a, a red heart, they'll also gain a level. So they can become more powerful as you progress through the game as well, which is pretty neat. There's a lot of other items, too, that are not very obvious as to their function a lot of the time no yeah it doesn't really what is the uh what does the map do i have no idea <laughs> I, I don't remember i got that a few times and i was like i don't know what this does i don't know why i have this. yeah it was really tough figuring out like what everything does like i had a gauntlet in my inventory for a lot of the game and then i, I read later oh this increases the strength of your ally character Oh, okay, cool. There's an almost kind of roguelike-ish feel to this because you're always getting different support items and different uh, helper characters sort of dropped on you. So you're you're changing things up very frequently. Yeah, though I do think that the helper characters are set pretty much like where they appear. It's not literally roguelike uh, type action because nothing, I don't think anything in this game is particularly random, but there's that sort of constant sense of like a churn of different sort of add-ons that you're getting that does does help it feel like there's always something new that's about to happen. That's cool. And also, honestly, I think kind of necessary because without those, this game would frankly be a little bit monotonous. I did find that this game would rely on some pretty cheap tactics at times. Like, I remember a floor in which there are these pillars that are background elements, but they fire spears, which do hurt your character. And I found it very hard to actually get through those areas without getting hit. Your character also does like a little fly backwards kind of thing when they get hit. So sometimes if you're getting hit a lot, it can be hard to recover. You also get like sword power-ups for your main guy's sword, and you can drop those if you get hit. Sometimes when you drop those, they will fall into areas that you would have to take damage in order to retrieve the power-up. So that's not great feeling. Like It's like, well, I guess that's just gone now. Yeah, I always went after it because I wasn't sure if there was a way to actually get the sword upgrades back because you only get them from bosses and it seemed like there was a pretty steady progression. So I wasn't sure, like, if I leave that sword there, is it just gone for good or do I get it again when I beat the next boss? How does that even work? Yeah, no, I was not that clear on that. So from what I can tell, this is a pretty direct conversion of the arcade game. And I do think that Capcom did, I think, a pretty good job of converting all the content from the arcade game here. But I do think there's definitely aspects of this that are a lot 
more appealing if you're just walking up to the machine and putting in some quarters and playing a few rounds than they are when you have this game at home and you're kind of trying again and again to to go through and you know make progress and see the end of the game that way yeah another thing about this is that it loses the arcade machines two-player co-op mode which is understandable here because with the ally characters that would probably be way more characters on the screen than the game could handle at that point this game has some pretty wicked slowdown oh. Oh, anyway, yes. So I don't think that it would have been up to it. The graphics in this don't look as good as the ones in the arcade game, but they're still pretty recognizably all the same stuff. But what that does mean is that sometimes there's just a ton of enemies on the screen at one time. This is a game much more so than something like, say, Final Fight, where I can see why they may have made the choice that this just wasn't something that they could they could pursue with the two-player co-op. And honestly, I don't know how this game would be with two-player co-op, but I can't really imagine it would be that different. So I don't know that it's missing here quite the same way that it would be in something like a like a brawler. does let you start from different floors which is kind of interesting the top one you can start one is like 33 i think and also a nice thing is that it does seem to auto level your allies and things like that for you so you're not just starting immensely underpowered if you do that so that can kind of make you know subsequent playthroughs a bit easier yeah for sure i think the furthest i got was uh, against a boss that was these two worms kind of floating around the screen and there's a very uh-huh. specific point on which you had to hit them to do damage and I was, like, caught between these two areas where there were spikes on the ground that, that I would take damage if I walked over them. And then above them were these platforms that seemed a little bit too high for my character to jump up to. So I was kind of like, I can't really move around. I can't really avoid attacks because I can't get up there. I'm not sure how I'm supposed to do this. And that was as far as I got. I I had similar feelings about the places where I got stuck. Um, A lot of times it was places like what I described before, where either I could keep going on or I could go back and take some damage to get a power up. And that would ultimately kind of weaken me to the point where I would just get like, like there, there's certain kinds of enemies in this game that I found very hard to, to deal with. Like the tiny little like bat things. I mean, obviously we all know, that birds and bats in video games are the worst enemies because they're tiny and they're very, very aggressive usually. And that is definitely the case here. You can use like kind of a screen clearing attack to get rid of them, but sometimes it just felt like a war of attrition between me and the bats where, you know, I would just run into a cloud of them and die because there was no way to deal with them effectively. One thing I did find kind of humorous about this game is that occasionally they'll just be bears. You you just have to murder the bears. It's like all these great fantasy enemies like goblins and wizards and, oh yeah, the bear. (laughs) The bears can throw fire at you, so I guess they're... They're pretty powerful bears, but yeah, that's that's a weird one for sure. Because yeah, the rest of them are all like skeletons and, like you said, goblins and all of that. But yeah, it's like yeah, there's just some some angry bears in here too. I don't know if I have much more to say about this one. Do you? Not really. Um, I think the graphics are fine, but kind of unspectacular. The music is good, but it just kind of repeats the same few musical tracks every few levels, basically. So it often doesn't feel like the music is particularly fitted to whatever the the aesthetic of that particular floor is or anything. So 
it's not bad. Like, it's fine. But, uh, you know, I don't really think this is exactly like uh, a true classic game that, that everyone should go out there and play. It's got some stuff going for it. And if you are a fan of like uh, some of the old school hack and slash arcade games, then there's definitely something to like about this. It's it's fun for what it is, for sure. All right. So I kind of feel like looking at the list here, maybe a good place to start might be something like Final Fight at number 29. All right. Yeah, I can go with that. So, I mean, I think Final Fight looks much more impressive, but I think it suffers much more than this game does from the lack of a two-player co-op mode. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that as it's done as this home conversion, I think this game is probably a, a decent bit more fun to play than that version of Final Fight is. And also just the, the kind of short sort of bite-sized levels and the variety of enemies and power-ups does kind of lend this game sort of a a more kind of energetic feel than that version of Final Fight has. So up next on the list, we've got at number 28, Super Smash TV. Yeah. What do you think about that matchup? I I think that in some ways, Super Smash TV feels like it's like a better designed game than this. But I also think that it does suffer from the stuff we talked about when we ranked that game. Uh, namely, the fact that it's having to do like a, a twin stick shooter with uh, eight directional digital controls. And the fact that it's just a, a real ugly, ugly game. Yeah, I think I had more fun with Magic Sword than I did with Smash TV. I, I think so, too. You know, I think that it's... A little jankier, probably, than than Smash TV in some ways, but I think the gameplay that's there is more enjoyable. Yeah, I would I would probably put this up above uh, above Smash TV. Next one we have above that is Populous. What do you think about that matchup? I think I like this more than Populous. I think I would put this above Populous. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. I kind of feel the same way with Draken because I'm kind of just wanting to get to Rival Turf, which I think is a better point of comparison. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, unless you think that Draken's a better game than this, do you do you think it is? Or? No, I don't think Draken's a better game than this. I think it probably has more going on in it than this one does, but uh, I don't know that that's necessarily to Draken's benefit. So yeah, let's talk about Magic Sword and Rival Turf because I do agree that this is a good matchup. Rival Turf is pretty janky, but it does have two-player co-op, whereas I think Magic Sword is a much better put-together game. And again, like I don't think I'm missing the two-player co-op aspect quite as much here because there is kind of enough stuff to sink my teeth into anyway. I think I think I like this one better than Rival Turf. Rival Turf definitely has its charms, but I do think that like the level of jank that that game has does sort of make it face face some challenges in in the face of something like Magic Sword. Well, one thing that I think is kind of genuinely good about Magic Sword is the fact that it does kind of feel like you're constantly making progress because the levels are so short. So, you know, it, it is kind of nice to see that little, like, level counter at the bottom of the screen tick up each time you get to a new floor. All right, so uh, with apologies to Uzi, moving on, <laughs> we've got... Uh... 23 and 24 are our soccer or super soccer twins, super soccer champ and super soccer, respectively. So I think to me, this might actually be where it stops. Like, I think that super soccer, I I enjoyed the moment to moment play of that game a lot. And I do think that, you know, the, the presentation aspect of that one was, was really good. I don't know that I would say quite the same thing about the way that Rival Turf, or the, sorry, the way that, that Magic Sword looks or sounds. Yeah, I just think mechanically they're a lot more solid at being soccer games than this is at being a hack and slash. 
So is this going to be our new number 25 then? That sounds right to me. Well, all right then. So uh, Magic Sword is our new number 25. Congratulations, Magic Sword. I'm going to call it Sword from now on to really annoy everybody at home. That's great. People love that. People will love it. People love it when you intentionally mispronounce things. It's hilarious. Yep. Height of comedy there. Okay. Okay, no. So Magic Sword, 25. Yeah. Well done, folks. Well done. Do we want to move on to our uh, our next game for today? Let's talk about it. All right. So our next game is Kablooey, which I'd never... Kablooey! I'd never heard of before this. Me either. And uh, I saw the title screen for this game, and I was just like, oh, no. The actual game's graphics are a little less off-putting to me than the title screen, but there's some actual functional usability issues with those that we should talk about. Before we get there. Yeah, go ahead and, and give, us a, give us a little history lesson about Kablooey. So this is very fascinating. This game, so even though it came out a year after the Super Nintendo's launch over here, this was actually the third game to come out on the Super Famicom. Wow, really? Yeah, and it is the first game to be ported uh, from another system. Uh, originally, this game came out with the title of Bomboozle, uh, which is the title that it had in Japan as well. Uh, it was developed by Imageworks, which is a label created by Mirrorsoft in 1988. That's a British company with a, a weirdly sordid story um, that we'll, we'll, we'll probably talk about at some point. It's probably not worth getting into no, go, here. go ahead and talk about it. Go ahead and talk about it. Okay. Um, Mirrorsoft, it was sort of an offshoot division of the Mirror Group, which was a British newspaper group. They were kind of like a, a you know multi-pronged media concern, basically. Mirrorsoft was actually pretty successful as far as it goes. Um, they, they made some decently sized hit games for the the you know, microcomputers that were popular in Britain at the time, in the the late 80s. Um, But the Mirror Group as a whole ended up shutting down after the founder of the company, uh, or the the president of it, uh, mysteriously died on his yacht. And the kind of company sort of continued on after that for a while, but eventually sort of wound down. And the the thing that was actually supporting the company after a certain point was the sales of Mirrorsoft's games. Uh, and there was sort of a last-ditch effort made to try and spin that off as its own thing, but it didn't really work out, and eventually the intellectual property was just sort of sold off. But most companies don't end in a story that involves uh, in- involves the murder of the, the head of the company, possibly. Uh, maybe not murder but it seems kind of pretty fishy and uh it's it's a weird story that you should definitely look up if this sounds interesting to you but uh yeah uh a little bit of a little bit of true crime in this this not true crime podcast we're branching out folks we're branching out we're pivoting to true crime yeah it's very popular Everybody loves it. Anyway, so Bomboozle. Yeah. Uh, this originally came out on the C64, the Amiga, and the Atari ST in 1988. Saw a PC port a year later and uh, came out on the Super Famicom a year after that. And now here we are a couple of years later, and it's coming out on the SNES as Kablooey, courtesy of Chemco. So I guess we want to talk about how this game 
functions or, you know, maybe how it doesn't? Yeah, sure. Let's talk about that. This is a puzzle game in which you move a character around sort of uh, an isometric grid. And your goal is to blow up all of the bombs and landmines that are on the field. Every level has a different layout with different kind of tiles that have different properties. Sometimes the tiles are ones that disappear after you step off of them. Sometimes they are ice tiles that make you slide onto whatever's next of it. Uh, there's teleporters. There's kind of switches that can can make new, new tiles appear. Uh, sometimes there are places where you can actually move a bomb along a track. Uh, to kind of rearrange its position. And the game does like different things with these to create different sorts of puzzles. And one thing you have to contend with with all of these, though, is the the actual act of moving the character around that you're controlling, who needs to finish each level standing on something and not getting blown up themselves. Uh, they're a really ugly kind of eggplant-looking guy with like giant eyes. And uh, I kind of... I kind of don't want him to succeed, frankly, a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah, the, the the character is a very uncreative-looking design. It, it just looks like a big blue ball of Play-Doh with arms and legs to me. There are some things, I'm just going to say this right up front, that pretty common sort of aesthetic choices made by a lot of... Um, Seems like a lot of, of British games that we have encountered from this time period that I'm just not a fan of. I don't like this kind of character design or just overall look to the game. It's tough to kind of get invested in learning how to like kind of master these controls when they're they they just the controls themselves don't feel like they're ever very intuitive. I, I eventually kind of gained enough muscle memory with this that I didn't end up accidentally making Mr. Kablooey or whatever he's canonically called walk off the side of the map or into to a, a place that I didn't intend for him to go. But it happened a lot. And it even happened after I had basically learned the controls. Um, you know, it's it's very hard to kind of keep track of like what's going to make you go up or sideways. Uh, it just doesn't ever feel like it. It never feels natural to me. The placement of the grid and how it's oriented and how that corresponds to where he moves, depending on what D-pad button you push, is just absolutely infuriating to me. Yeah, it's kind of like the problem that I had with Populous, but this is a game where moving in the wrong direction can just send him walking off of a tile and into oblivion and costing you a life. And that's just really obnoxious. Honestly, even worse than it costing you a life is the fact that that resets the puzzle entirely every time you do it. And sometimes the puzzles are these like multi-step things. I, I had multiple occasions of this where I knew what I needed to do to solve the puzzle and I was midway through it and I just accidentally stepped off the side of the level and had to redo the whole thing. It's awful. I hate that feeling so much. I guess before I talk about some of the other little inconveniences that this game has, I do just want to talk about just the overall presentation of it. I, I think it's like, so bad. It looks pretty ugly, honestly. Yeah. Uh, the elements of it that are kind of functional are very bare bones. Uh, there's only one music track, really, and it is obnoxious. And on that note, if I've had to break this segment up, you will have heard Guile's theme instead of the obnoxious theme that started this segment because I wasn't going to subject you to that. And Guile's theme from Street Fighter 2 
goes with anything. It goes with anything. Even Kablooey. Even our discussion of Kablooey. Yeah, like the bombs are just represented by little red balls. And uh, there's like three sizes of the standard kind of bomb, but it's only indicated by the size of the ball. And it's actually kind of subtle in a way that it's not always clear unless you've got, you know, all three of them on the screen at once in a line where you can really see like, okay, this is a small one. This is a medium one. This is a big one. Even that was kind of an issue for me once in a while. I, I feel that. I also didn't have a really great idea of exactly how the bombs were going to interact with each other and like how much of the level they were going to blow up because that's the other thing is that when the bombs go off they do blow up whatever tile they're on and possibly the tiles around them depending on the size of the bomb so they can start kind of chain reactions and there were definitely multiple levels where i just had to blow up all the bombs uh to sort of do a trial and error thing to see what was still going to be a safe area to be in and then have to work backwards to figure out how to get my guy to be on that square when the bombs went off. This game does kind of demand an instruction manual because another thing about this is that it's not even obvious just by looking at it how everything works. Like small bombs will only explode the tile that they're on, but what may not be obvious is that they will activate bombs one square in a cardinal direction adjacent to them. So either up, down, left, or right, uh, one square away. And because like the game, like you said, does reset the puzzle every time you die, doesn't just do a quick restart, but pulls you back out into a menu and you wait for the lady to tell you to get ready and then you go back in there. It's, it's really a slog. The thing that I kind of ended up feeling like with this game is that these feel like puzzles where if I encountered like one or two of these every, I don't know, half an hour or so in a different kind of game, like say if these were like uh, a puzzle room in a Zelda game, I would be okay with them. But I do think that they would need something else around them to break up the monotony and to actually make them enjoyable because as they are like just doing what like 150 or however many there are in this game back to back it gets very old very quickly i mean i'm okay with this as a standalone puzzle game like in a way it kind of reminded me of a of a indie game that came out in the last couple of years called steven's sausage roll i I i've heard of that game i haven't played it myself but yeah i can definitely see the the comparison there so the game breaks down into like where do I need to move to in order to set these bombs off safely? Or what order do I need to set them off in so that I still have a place to stand on when I'm at the end of the level? Or where do I need to configure the bombs to in order to, you know, give myself a safe place to go to once I've set them off? You know, and I, and I think that all that works fine. It's just that the fact that it is difficult to remember where, you know, what button I need to push on the D-pad to move in the right direction. And the fact that I can walk off of a tile and just completely ruined my turn. If they had just made it so that you couldn't walk off of the tiles on your own, like there's no reason to not do that. I I don't understand why, you know, like just, it's just this extra annoyance is all it is at the end of the day. Or, you know, like if the time limit that all the levels have were just for bonus points and not, you know, like something that if you run out of time, again, you lose a life and have to start all over. Which, which frankly, why does this game even have lives? Like, that doesn't <laughs> yes. seem necessary to me. Because, like, whenever you run out of lives and game over, 
you're given a password that will let you restart that same level. And also, if you don't turn the game off, you can just continue right there endlessly yes. at the same level. So why why have lives? Why have an extra thing where you have to go back to where if you die five times in a row, you have to go back to the start menu of the game and go back in and and press the continue button? I don't get that. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because I wrote the exact same thing in my notes that like because they already basically for for all intents and purposes, you've got an infinite number of opportunities to get through a level. Why keep taking you out of the action by sending you back to different menus, depending on if you've lost a life or if you have to continue or whatever, like why make the player go through that? It does not help the experience. Yeah, there's just so much annoyance around what's basically fine spatial puzzling gameplay here. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't get that. I think back to something like Lemmings. The folks who made Lemmings were smart enough to not do lives. I mean, I understand that like lives are a video game trope that you know took a long time to kind of shake before we kind of realized like, oh, we don't actually need this anymore. <laughs> yeah. Lemmings was ahead of the curve. Like they already kind of knew like this isn't a game that benefits from having like a system of lives where right, you can right. run out and it's game over. I wish that the people who made this game had come to that same conclusion. I mean, I just wish that they made a whole bunch of different little quality of life improvements to make this just a, a breezier experience so that I felt like my frustration was coming from trying to solve the puzzle and not just from all of the arbitrary seeming limitations that the game yeah. puts on me while I'm trying to solve it. That that makes me not exactly. want to play it. But like, exactly. And, yeah. and, and frankly, like we said before, the ugly look of this game and, and abysmal music just adds to the frustration aspect of it. That it's just, yeah. It, there's, there's a solid puzzle mechanic here, but it's not fun to play. No, it's buried under a bunch of bad stuff. And uh, it's, it makes it pretty hard to recommend. Um, and if you do want to play this game, play this thing with the sound off because you are not going to want to hear that one song over and over again it's got the obnoxious announcer who's like player one get ready and then like they sample that into the get, music get ready get get ready oh my god it's yeah so, it's uh, it's horrible uh, i hate it you want to look over at the list here yeah let's have a look at it and see where we want to situate kablooey yeah so i mean we, we've already kind of compared it to lemmings and i don't even think it's, it's it's near lemmings and honestly i don't think it's anywhere near anything that's near lemmings frankly i don't even think it's anywhere near the lemmings knockoff crusty super fun house at number 35 uh, so i'm looking further down the thing that i'm drawn to uh immediately is smart ball which is another game with some pretty functional stuff buried under a bunch of very poor choices uh, and also a pretty uninspired aesthetic. But I still think Super Smart Ball is a greater success than Kablooey is, honestly. I, I just think Smart Ball is still doing more. There's still more interesting aspects to it than what Kablooey has going for it. I was looking more at like something like Clue at number 55. Okay, I'm I'm definitely willing to go lower than than Smart Ball for sure. So Clue is Yeah, Clue is another thing where there's a game here. The game itself is functional, but it's not really propped up by anything that's around it in a way that's that's good. I would say I would still put Kablooey lower than Clue just because Clue at least has like some really good aesthetic components to Clue's it. It's got some nice animation, you know, there's that at least. Um 
Yeah, so if we go further down, we got Gary Kitchen's Super Battle Tank War in the Gulf, a game that's title never gets to be less of a mouthful. <laughs> right. Uh, at number 56. <laughs> um, you know, like, this these, this is actually a pretty good comparison, because these are both kind of games with sort of simple, not too hard to grasp gameplay that's just hampered by a lot of obnoxious decisions and it's, it's just yeah not... and and i also i also don't really enjoy the act of playing them even though i understand them in a fairly similar way romance of the three kingdoms too i would say is the the floor for this one because at least okay. kablooey i was able to figure out i think the question is does this go above or below gary kitchen super battle tank that's kind of tough I was able to get further in Kablooey, certainly. I didn't have nearly as much trouble wrangling the game's graphics in a way that made me able to like understand what was going on the same way I did with Gary Kitchen's Super Battle Tank. But at the same time, I think that even though Super Battle Tank is a pretty dull-looking game, nothing about its presentation just bothers me the way that, that this one does. So, I, you know, I would say I was a lot more annoyed playing Kablooey than I was playing Super Battle Tank. Okay. So probably I would put, a, put, put this game between Super Battle Tank and Romance of the Three Kingdoms 2. How do you feel about that? You know what? I think, uh, I think you make sound argument, and I think i can i can get on board with that all right kablooey blowing up that number 57 spot on the list yeah you know i wonder if they called him kablooey because he's blue oh maybe that's maybe it. they thought it was like a cuter name because the character in bamboozle uh as far as i could tell was not blue they kind of redesigned him for this so oh okay well maybe that's yeah all right, so that's uh, that's kablooey and i guess i think uh-huh. we only got one more game for today right we sure do And that game is Strike Gunner STG. And uh, now, what does the STG stand for? Do you, do we know that? I feel like we did at one point, and I have completely forgotten. I have I have not bothered to look it up again. This this is a vertically scrolling shooter. Give us give us the lowdown on who made this game and where it comes from. Okay, well, so uh, this game was developed by Athena, a company with uh, shockingly little information about them on all my usual sources. So. I will do more research, and uh, if we come across another Athena game, I'll do a deeper dive into them next time. One company I can talk about a little bit more is Tecmo, which is the the company that published this game in arcades originally. They began life as a company called Tecan back in the 1960s, and they started out as a company selling cleaning equipment and amusement machines. It's an interesting combo. They made their first game in 1981 that was called uh, Pleiads which I think I'm pronouncing right. It's spelled P-L-E-I-A-D-S. That's way too many vowels in one place, but uh, in any way. I, th- I, think that, I think that might be Pleiades, which is like a constellation. That would make sense, because it's a space shooter uh, not dissimilar to Galaxian. Okay. So uh, the name change for the company came in 1986, and they would go on to create a whole bunch of classic franchises that you've probably heard of, like Ninja Gaiden and Fatal Frame and Dead or Alive, Monster Rancher. And, of course, the football franchise, Tecmo Bowl. The American football franchise, I should clarify. <laughs> right, right. So uh, they merged with Koei in 2009. Koei, of course, was the romance of the Three Kingdoms folks, among other things. Uh, to form Koei Tecmo. Um, also, apparently, Tecmo had a rabbit mascot, I guess. I saw a logo of theirs that had a rabbit standing there. Yeah, I've seen that thing before. Yeah. Don't know if that was a character or just some, like, 
attempted a mascot character that never went anywhere. But Everybody tried to do one. Most of them didn't take. Uh, but anyway, so Tecmo only handled the arcade release of this game, which happened in 1991. Uh, it was published by Athena itself for the home port in Japan and was published by NTV International. Not MTV, but N like Nancy TV. Uh, never heard of them? Uh, me either. Uh, I want my NTV, though. Well, sadly, you're probably not going to get much of it. They released a handful of games <laughs> for the NES, Game Boy, and Super NES in the early 90s, and that is pretty much it. Uh, a lot of them for a company called KidCore, okay, which is another company I've never really heard of. But uh, you know, we could just go down this rabbit hole forever and and would never get to the game. So we'll just have to leave it there. Uh, but anyway, so Strike Gunner STG, it's all right. It's all right. This is one that we, you and I, had previously played in uh, the earlier incarnation of, uh, of of our attempt to go through the Super Nintendo's library when we were doing it as a uh, a YouTube show. You and I ended up having uh, kind of different reactions to it going back to it. Yeah, it sounds like than than we did originally. This game is a one or two player simultaneous co op game. You're given a, a big field of different special weapons that you can select before you start. And then you are dropped into these vertically scrolling shooter levels that I find generally pretty overly long and monotonous personally. The first level, which I think that it's actually like two levels sort of stitched together, feature the same endlessly scrolling repeated jungle tile background well, there, there is a river at one point that's true there is a river at one point but a lot of you know shoot 'em up games i think are are sort of to some extent defined by having really interesting stuff going on in their backgrounds or like different geography that you have to navigate around while you're shooting things and this one doesn't really do that it's more or less only about taking down and avoiding the different enemy layouts that come at you while you're going over these long stretches of of background that don't really have a lot going on in them. Yeah, the levels do go on a long time. The enemy layouts are pretty good, I would say. Like the the patterns they come at you in and like the pace at which they introduce new enemy types and stuff is pretty good. Yeah, I was definitely a lot more positive on this game going back to it now than I was back when we played it for the YouTube channel. And I, I think part of that, again, is, is playing it in the context of the other games that have come for out. For sure, yeah. I, you know, I feel like we've seen a lot of scrolling shooters that really rely on some cheap tactics, like enemies just kind of popping up from where your ship might be on the edge of the screen, things just moving way too fast for you to be able to react, where the game feels like it's expecting me to just completely memorize enemy patterns. This game doesn't feel like it It forced me to do that. This game felt like it was a much more leisurely kind of shooter. That's certainly true, and it, it does feel pretty good to play. Like, I think the different weapons are pretty fun to use, the frame rate's consistent, it feels pretty good to maneuver around your, your ship. Your, your your ship is like I, I feel like just about the right size where it's you know never going to get lost in the background or the spray of enemy weapons, but it's it's small enough that you can pretty easily maneuver around the various obstacles on on the screen. Yeah, the game also tries to break up the levels a little bit uh, by introducing mini bosses, which are you know pretty large ships that'll attack you, and when you defeat them, they'll explode, and also all their bullets will immediately disappear in, in a flash of white, which is kind of nice because, you know, it, it kind of signifies, okay, we're done with that part of the level. And also 
you know, it kind of prevents cheap deaths by getting hit by a bullet when the screen is flashing white and you can't see anything. It's like you were saying, you get to pick a, a different sub weapon before each level. There's a wide variety of sub weapons that happen. Some of them are just purely defensive. Others are like lasers that do a lot of damage straight in front of you, homing missiles that'll help you with harder to reach enemies. The trade-off there is that you only get to use a secondary weapon once. It becomes unavailable to you once you've used it in a level until you start a new game. So you kind of get to experiment with different weapons and see which ones you like for different stages. I think it's an all right system. Uh, Secondary weapons also use up energy, but I think you can kind of refill that with power-ups. You definitely get your energy back when you uh, die and, and respawn, which happens right at the moment where you died. Which is good, yeah. Uh, Yeah, for sure. So yeah, this game definitely, even though I think presentation-wise it's not great, it definitely does have some stuff to recommend it uh, on the gameplay front. Playing it in the context of when it came out, like, honestly, vertically scrolling shooters are not putting up an amazing showing on the system so far, so this does really feel like it's it's doing some decent stuff with, with the format. Yeah, definitely. I also think that, you know, even though the presentation is kind of lackluster, this does provide another argument for, you know, what's kind of not great about Kablooey is that this is a sort of a triumph of, hey, the mechanics are really solid, so I'm willing to overlook the fact that it isn't quite as pretty or bombastic as some other games out there. Yeah, so I I think this game's all right. It's definitely nothing spectacular, but it's easily, I think, the best vertically scrolling shooter that we've played so far. I can't think of a better one. Ride and Trad is is all right. I think Ride and Trad, I prefer the level design more, but it also doesn't run very well, and it has a very boring power-up system. So this one definitely beats that in on those terms. Um, and I think the only other one we, we played was uh, D-Force, which has a lot of problems. Yeah, I think this this pretty handily beats both of those for sure. Uh do we want to look over at the list and start uh Yeah, let's uh let's do that. Let's figure out where we want to put this. So, where where are you looking at for this one? What do you think is like a good sort of jumping off point for for figuring out where this goes? Well, I was kind of thinking it was just starting at right end trad and kind of going from there. I think it's just going to go up from there. I don't know how far. Yeah. But, uh we got right end trad at number 44 and I I think this is better than that. That sounds good to me. Um so yeah, above that we got Super Baseball Simulator 1000, which is that still our top rated baseball game? I think so, and I think that is just because uh you know by virtue of like the the weird superpowers that you get it it's at least doing something different to kind of mix up baseball. I certainly enjoyed this more than Super Baseball Simulator One Thousand. I think I did too. I think it it can go up from there um and above that we have super tennis. Which I thought was pretty good, honestly, and it's still, yeah. I think Super Tennis remains the only tennis game we've played, so, so far, it definitely yeah. benefited from being the only game of its type on the system. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm actually having kind of a little bit of trouble figuring out how this would work as a matchup, frankly. You know, weirdly enough, like, I think a better matchup is right above it. It's Super Paperboy 2, and I think this is better than Super Paperboy 2, so I'm kind of just wanting to jump up. Yeah, I would spaces. agree with that, yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. So next up, we've got Hyperzone at number 40. This is kind of interesting here, yeah. Because Hyperzone has the presentation. It's it's all about that presentation, actually. But it's not really a great game to actually play. And I don't think that that one really works that well, but it is really distinctive looking. You were saying that STG is sort of a, a substance over style. This is kind of the opposite. I, I think I had more fun with STG, and honestly, like I think... 
you can have more fun with STG by virtue of the fact that you can play it with a friend. I mean, you can play it with a friend, and the mechanics, I think, are just more solid than Hyperzone. Above that one, we've got True Golf Classics YLI. It just dawned on me. Something just dawned on me here. Is True Golf Classics YLI Country Club right now our lowest rated golf game on here? Um, no, it's not, because Jack Nicklaus Golf is down at 49. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, you know what? That one barely counts. Our, our <laughs> almost lowest rated golf game is still better than our highest rated baseball game. Just Yes, just- it is. Just get your think stuff. about that, folks. Yeah, get your shit together, baseball. That's all I'm saying. This this is a tough one to to, to decide here. Cause... I think I think Wildlife is a good game. Yeah, yeah. I I you know I think I kind of like Wildlife more than Strike Gunner. Honestly, that might just be down to personal preference for you know kind of enjoying like a lot of the little like flourishes in it you know i still like the the caddies i like the way that it's sort of laid out Uh, even though i recognize that pretty much everything it did was ultimately done better by true golf classics pebble beach but it it didn't do anything terribly though even though i think i personally would probably play more stg before i'd play more wildlife country club i think wildlife country club does a better job of sort of balancing the style and substance where STG has has a lot of one at the expense of the other. <laughs> that first level is very long. Like, it's like 11 minutes long. And the background changes maybe a little bit, one or two times. But you've got to really be enjoying that gameplay. I will say, something that I think I liked about the repeating background is, like, it was almost like a I got into, like, a zen kind of moment there. Where I, I almost <laughs> That's just true, zoned actually. out and was just kind of like, yeah, shoot the helicopter. Yeah, I could, so, yeah. I could see that. I could see that. Um, but, you know, ha- even having said that though uh if, if you think that wildlife country club belongs above this game i'm i'm totally okay with it going below okay uh, that's that's where i would put it personally uh that is where it's gonna stop and strike gunner stg is gonna be our new number 40 game yep it looks like it so uh so i think that's gonna do it for today so we've got what uh, let's see what do we have now um oh hey we've got 70, 70 games. games all right all right i like that yeah all right. And uh, hey, do we want to look forward to next week? See what we're going to be talking about there? Yeah, let's do that. Oh, wow. We got we got some we got some cool stuff here actually. I'm pretty excited. Oh man, we really do. Hi. Yeah, we've got uh, so we got Soul Blazer coming up, which you know, I've okay. never played before, but I'm I'm excited to give that a try. Yeah, me too. Rampart, which I feel like is an old arcade game something like that that seems right yeah i don't really know that game but i feel like i know that title so i'm interested to see what that is i don't know i can picture the box art i don't know much about the game but we will remedy that by next week uh anyway so after that we've got super play action football which is a nintendo published football game interesting and then uh finally the one i'm very excited for teenage mutant ninja turtles 4 turtles in time that one's gonna be great i know that i think we both have a lot of experience with that one and we both you know can can kind of vouch for it based on fairly recent memories so that's exciting i'm really looking forward to playing that one and talking about it on the show yeah i am super excited so anyway Folks, I know this has been a weird couple of episodes, but thank you all for hanging in there with us. I don't think we're going to have to break the next one up, but I don't know, Ninja Turtles, man, we'll see what happens. We'll see. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Anyway, everyone, thank you all so much for listening. Until next time, I'm Steampunk Link. I'm Emmy Zero. Play it loud!
Our intro outro song is How Now Brown Cow by Techno Axe, who very generously offers a ton of great music for free and royalty free at technoaxe.com. For more of our content, check out honestpiranha.com. Thanks for listening. Clear one, get ready.